They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flan bay, it's the open run. I always tell the truth. And that's a lie. But it's the truth. And while you marinate and ruminate upon what I just said, allow me to welcome you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland, and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. We are actually one week away from the opening of the 75th campaign of the National Basketball Association. I haven't been around for all 75, but I've been around for a lot of them. And I like that. This video they put out recently, the NBA, of all these players, current and past, celebrating the 75th anniversary and there's Michael B. Jordan who's driving the bus. Not Michael Jeffrey Jordan, but Michael B. Jordan. You know, Wallace from The Wire. Or Killmonger, if you want to talk about that, from Black Panther. Just depends on... Or Adonis Creed. He's played a lot of roles. Anyway, he's driving the bus. These little kids are on the bus. And this reminded me of an idea that I had back in the day working with Adidas, where in the hood, Adidas was an acronym. All day I dream about, and that's what be sex. You know, because we're kids. But in this instance, I created a program for Adidas that was equivalent to Nike's youth program called Play. Participate in the lives of America's youth. So ours was called Adidas, and it was just like... All day I dream about in the first episode of the commercials that I was trying to do for Adidas was with Dikembe Mutombo, who at the time had a deal with Adidas, and he was going to be driving the bus, and all you could hear was this is a laugh as the bus pulled up, you see the stop sign, kids come on, and they're all, you know, running around, and all you see is this, this finger wagging, and these kids get to school, and they're enjoying each other, and they're talking, and then you see these long legs, and these big feet, and these Adidas shoes, but you don't ever see Dikembe's face, see his hands, and he's turning the pages of the book. You hear him reading to the kids, and the kids are starting to fall asleep. As they fall asleep, and he closes the book, it says, all day I dream about success, because these kids are helping one another and doing all these things. A community, different types of people. Dikembe Mutombo, a guy who's always been about taking care of himself and his own, was a subject of that. We were competitors in university when he was at Georgetown, and I was at Rice. Played them a couple times. They smacked us. It is what it is. And I love thinking about these kinds of things and seeing during the time that Michael B. Jordan was driving this bus around, you see Kareem and Dirk together showing him how to shoot the sky hook and they stop. And there's a mural of Kobe. It drew me to thinking about how I want to be such a part of not only the NBA, but also curating the game, commenting about the game in every facet. I want to be involved. I started off watching basketball games a lot with my Uncle Tracy, who was a big Pistons fan. I'm talking about the 70s guy. I don't know how. The Pistons were terrible in the 70s. 
whatever the case was, I would sit there and I was all excited just to be watching and chilling with him and talking. And I wouldn't stop talking. I remember watching the 1983 NCAA championship game with him and announcing how Lorenzo Charles, blessed dead, caught the errant Derek Wittenberg shot right in front of Akeem Olajuwon. Dunked it. Akeem didn't know the game was over. He was in shock. North Carolina State won the championship game. All I could do was talk, talk, talk. My uncle's like, will you shut up? I said, what's wrong with what I'm saying? He says, nothing. I just don't want to hear it. You're talking over the guys who are talking on TV? I said, I'm better than them. He said, yeah, okay. My uncle gives me stats today for doing what I've done with my career, and I appreciate that. I took my shot with my uncle, talking about the game. He gave me a spark, put a battery in my back. And in the current state of affairs, not only in the NBA, but also in the world, to take the shots or not to is the thing. Notice just recently that noted anti-vaxxer Devin Armani Booker has COVID. He also decided to take the shots to come back to play basketball. If I'm not mistaken, the NBA is now at 98%, 97% fully vaccinated. But somehow they are supposed to be the leaders on getting the rest of the country inoculated. Got it. I wonder sometimes how we come to our discoveries in this research. Like, what are the metrics or bases to talk about long-term effects of a new drug? We don't know how it will affect us. We just believe. Is it based on some sample size, some testing that we're, I'm not aware of that. I don't know. And I'm not saying I know everything about it, but I'm wondering, this is like kind of minority report, you know, kind of pre-criming. Again, I'm not caping one way or the other for the shots, but I understand when you have a choice. But apparently, whatever those side effects are, they can't be dissuaded by the specter of losing lots of money, especially when you're in a year where you can qualify for a supermax contract worth almost a quarter billion dollars. I guess you can pay for better health care. There are a lot of things in this world. I don't know. This is clear. I don't know why this whole vaccine versus anti-vaccine thing made me think of the crack epidemic in the 80s. I used to wonder what store did the crack dealers find these drug vials, the little crack vials. Like, how do they find them? How do they know to put in the crack in the little vials and the blue tops and red tops? And like, is there a store? Is there like a Walmart for crack vials that I'm unaware of? It's almost like the spy shit in movies. Where do they get all these gadgets? I don't know. Like, spies are I don't know where they get them. I want to know. If you have any idea, hit me up on my social media. You know how to reach me. This vaccine situation is so malleable. Just recently, Los Angeles jumped into the fray with New York and San Francisco with strict vaccination guidelines that would disallow some of the players who have not taken their shots to play. However, they can practice. New York City just deemed the Brooklyn Nets practice facility as a private business, a private office to allow Kyrie Irving to play. Staples Center did the same thing in L.A. You don't have to have the shots outside, but if you come inside, it's a private business. That's basically Switzerland. It's neutral. It's free land. You can do what you need to do, vaccinated or not, and let the individuals within those private offices decide how they want to move forward. There's revenue to be made here. Let's be clear. It all comes down to the almighty dollar in many of the cases, probably in most of them, if not all. What about Carl Anthony Towns, who had seven members of his family, including his mother, die of COVID-related causes? This is in a year. Seven people. He's back at work. Instability in his front office, instability in his life with his family in this pandemic. And yet he's at work. Again, I'm not caping. Just letting you know. I'm reporting what it is. And trying to put it in perspective, like, how does he do that? How does he come back to work? 
Has Canada have a quarantine breach, but it'll allow you to stay, you don't have to have vaccinations as long as you stay in the hotel or the arena, kind of like LA and New York right now. So Kyrie Irving can play in Canada without vaccination, but there is Canadian quarantine breach that if you go outside these areas, you're subject to a six month jail sentence and a $750,000 fine. Now, I don't know if it's 750,000 Canadian, which is almost like 540 US, but they're willing to lose this every day from not going to practice. So was that fine to them? I know for a fact, there will be breaches of this Canadian quarantine unless the entire league is fully vaccinated at that point. Because you will see these guys who are not used to hearing people tell them no at the club. I'm not going to shout out any club on the podcast. I'm too old to be in the club. I do know where they are in Toronto. I'll just leave it at that. Just this past weekend, Kyrie was allowed to practice an outdoor Brooklyn Bridge event. And the fans came out strong. They want to see the Nets win a championship. Totally understood. And yesterday I recorded the first of six divisional previews of the NBA season with my partners over at the Press Network, the brothers from BTH, Below the Hardwood, and their vested representative who came on the podcast with me, Ryan Antonio Henry, to talk about every single division, including the Atlantic division in which the Nets reside and possibly will rule. I want you guys to make sure you check that out across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. It came out yesterday. There's another one on the Southwest Division that comes out today. There's a lot of basketball content coming your way. I want you to make sure to check out Below the Hardwood and the Open Run with Will Strickland. Steve Nash spoke to the notion that somehow Kyrie Irving might not play over 40-some-odd games this season, and they've resigned themselves to the notion that he won't. They're going to go with what they have in the locker room. Understood. Some people say, well, maybe Kyrie should sit out this season with a COVID exemption. Then some might point to Elgin Baylor, who in 1961-62 played in 48 games, averaged 39 points, 19 rebounds, and 5 assists a night, playing part-time. Couldn't even practice. He was enlisted as an Army reservist. I wonder if the Lakers won the championship in 61-62. No, they did not. Is this a linear comparison? Or is it a note to how chemistry is a fickle mistress? And I don't care how many times these guys have played together. They've played 15 times together. There are all-world Hall of Fame players, without question. Kevin Wayne Durant, James Edward Harden Jr., and Kyrie Andrew Irving are that. Still got to play together. Still got to develop chemistry in situations and, and circumstances on the court. It's one thing to do it in practice. Another thing to do it at game speed against teams that will scheme against certain things. You have to be able to read those things and react accordingly. That only comes with reps on the court in real game action. Also note along the way that with all this going on, people might say, oh, he's holding out for more money. He's going to wait for, you know, to get that big supermax. James Harden is not signing that extension in Brooklyn for a reason. He's not going to come out and say, oh, I don't trust Kyrie, but you decide. You decide. I want to shout out my family over at the National Basketball Players Association, the NBPA, for their recent refurb of the legendary Holcomb Rucker Park. The court looks fabulous. There are some videos out. Shouts out to my man, Dan, Chris Genius, and of course, my homegirl, Kiki, for all of their work in revitalizing a landmark in basketball. Speaking of the NBPA, 18 former NBA athletes in an attempt to commit conspiracy to defraud the health and welfare benefits package and plan of the National Basketball Players Association of almost $4 million. 
The federality's been on them phones, tap dancing on your lines. And they found out because of the gross incompetence of the ringleaders and all the people that are involved. Now, this is not me saying, yeah, they should have had smarter crooks. No, it was just dumb. And people are figuring, trying to figure out why these guys robbed or tried to rob, because that's what it comes down to. The BPA Health and Welfare Fund for all the players. You know, the improved CBA is giving these guys stuff they've never had before. These guys made almost $343 million as basketball players in their time in the NBA. There are 18 players indicted in these cases, including new Portland Trailblazer assistant coach Milt Palacio, Darius Miles, who has a podcasting career now as a knucklehead with, with Q Richardson, another former NBA athlete. I don't know how that will affect both Palacio's job and Miles' situation as well. Ronald Big Baby Davis. And if you had not seen this video, from back in the day where you're sitting with a case of money on a private jet, eating Popeye's chicken. Talk about his day is going to come in court. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Sebastian Telfair, one of the most celebrated New York point guards who never realized his potential in the NBA. I think he just got out of jail. So it's grand opening, grand closing for him because he's going back. They're going to do something. I don't know what they're going to do, but if you have a record already, this is not going to bode well for you. My man, Eddie Robinson who lives in Canada, so I don't know if the feds have extradition rights in this situation. If they, Because from what I understand, 16 of the 18 people indicted are already in custody. I don't know if Eddie's one of those. I haven't called him yet. I don't know if I should or wouldn't. I guess we're going to let this thing play out. And I'll reach out somehow and communicate with him or his family, his wife, whatever the case might be, to see how things are going. And last but not least, first team all defense, Tony Allen, Anthony Allen, and his wife, Desiree, who got caught up in this whole scheme. And I'm wondering, with Tony Allen getting his number retired with Zach Randolph in Memphis in January, does that happen now in light of these charges? I just wonder. I mean, these guys were grossly incompetent. How can you get a root canal in Beverly Hills while you're playing a game simultaneously in Taiwan? There are all kinds of typos in the paperwork. It wasn't on letterheads. Like maybe they're writing on napkins. Uh, my tooth hurts, and that's T O O F. I needs to get it fixed. I, you know, and it's messed up that I'm saying it like that because I'm mad at these dudes. It's dumb, and people get mad and they look at the situation. But if people only knew, the numbers look great, and one would think the players should be good because of the checks they were getting. But at some point, especially if you're a role player, because there are no stars and who are engaged in this activity. And you would think, okay, I see $45 million. You do not see the 40 to 50% in taxes they have to pay. So if you made $10 million last year, now it's down to $5 million. And then the checks run out and the cheers go away. You still have to pay those taxes, but the begging and the bills and the urge to keep up with the Joneses does not stop. And you wonder why there's a 30 for 30 documentary called Broke. Antoine Walker's cautionary tale. A lot of guys in the NBA, you see them like, how are you broke? How? The math never adds up to anything good when you have to live like that, especially if you utilize those variables in an equation that's supposed to be the life you want to lead. I'm going to tell you right now, the real crime might have been letting Terrence Williams be the ringleader because he had a four-year career in the NBA and he was always in trouble or in and out of the league for something. He actually taxed these guys for kickbacks to make this paperwork work, whether it be chiropractic services or dental services, that he was a leader? I don't know. So, Big Baby, you are a prophet, my guy. Your time 
maybe realize soon enough. And I find it odd that these guys who, you know, they stole some money. I get it. Not all, almost $4 million was paid out. I think they paid out over $2.5 million of these claims. So the guys got some money. I think on average about $225,000 a piece for the whole time they were doing this. Each one of them. On average. But let's be clear. It's not just about former players who got caught up in this whole thing. Someone had to be complicit in the programming of this. That was a chiropractor. That was a doctor that was processing the paperwork in the MBPA in order for this to even go through. And so someone did some forensic accounting or better yet, just reading because they say there's so many typos. You could tell a professional didn't write it, which is odd to me and messed up at the same time. So those doctors and shadowy go-betweens who co-sign what these guys were doing, I wonder if they'll see the same type of jail time and fines that these guys will see because the feds came down on them heavy. And I'm kind of torn in this way. These guys have made millions of dollars playing the game we would play for free. And because they didn't manage their lives better, because they didn't manage their money better, or because of simple greed, they got caught. But we are all perfectly imperfected. All walking contradictions as complex and complicated human beings. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more with my special guest on the other side of this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. So stay tuned. been a minute are you, are you it's good, it's good to oh, see you man it's been too long it has been way too long and let me change this brand behind you because it's in the black one there we go give me more of what you asked for it's the open run with will strickland in conversation with mi hermano ramon rodriguez did i roll my r's right yes sir I to make, sure, to make sure i did it right brother it's been way way too long Think about it, it's almost been a quarter century. It sounds funny to say that, right? I couldn't even, I'm trying to, I'm actually, I don't even remember, like I'm trying to, what was the year that we last saw each other? What was the moment, do you remember? Probably, we either play in Ray Diaz in New York or Hamilton yeah. Fish, or we played in a bunch of tournaments around, some yeah, of the tournaments around New York. Around so yeah, that was a like while Late 90s, I am so happy and so proud of you and for you, seeing you flourish in your chosen vocation and seeing you do your thing, man. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I was like, yo, I'm watching movies like, yo, I know that cat. I'm watching, I know that cat, trust me. I'm like, no, you don't. Okay. It's cool to connect those dots, you know what I mean? Um, no question. Yeah, it's been a beautiful thing, man. You know, uh, uh, you know different people from different paths of life. Your connection and our connection is through both. Which right. was always and will be my 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 love, my first love. You know? Is that what you want to do when you were when you were a little kid? What do you want to be when you grew up? I mean, when I was a little kid, uh, I definitely was not thinking of ball until much later. That didn't come into like my you know when I was about twelve that I got struck with the bug with the fever for ball. No doubt, the uh, fever, the fever, man. But prior to that, I mean, I had all kinds of other you know. I, I loved space and astronaut when I was a little kid. My dad was a musician, so I definitely had dreams of that. But yeah, ball came into my life a little bit later, man. Like 12, you know, I really got hooked when I was, you know, 13. It was, it's all I did. You know, between 12 and 13, I was hooked and I was fixed. And that was, that became my focus, my obsession. 
you know, I slept with my rock, I named my rock. Right. You know, it was real. People knew when I was coming up the block because they'd hear me first because I'd be dribbling. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was that was life. And you know what? I almost came on here today and instead Boricua. Boricua. You know, like I went on to go to Puerto Rican Day Parade. Yeah. And whenever the float would go by and it would get quiet for a second, you know how you get the crowd amped, right? You know what you say to get the crowd amped again. Oh, there's so many. You can say, wepa. You can say, yo soy boricua, pa que tu lo sepa. I mean, you can go, oh, you know, que bonita bandera, que bonita bandera. <laughs> right. You know what I would do, though? Because I'm not Puerto Rican, but I would, like, stand next to, like, a mailbox in New York and be like, wepa, de Rivera. And people will lose their minds. Wepa, exactly. Jerry Rivera exactly. is a god in Puerto Rico, right? Who's that? Say that again. Jerry Rivera. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you say that, and like everybody's losing their mind. I'm like, damn, that's dope. And so when you go home, do people recognize you and say, like, look, man, we knew you when you were a wee lad, and now we see you flourishing in the thing you want to do. How does that feel? I mean, look, you know, uh, anytime I'm home, uh, whether it's New York or Puerto Rico, it's it's amazing. Like, you can look back on life, and I can look back, and I'll see sort of the different things that I've done and travel and ball, and when I see... For instance, I connected with Bobito while I was home, right? Me and him, we, we share our birthdays or a day apart. Wow, and okay. Always Happy had a, belated birthday. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And so we always share this thing where we'll go and shoot around, you know, because I don't really play much anymore, but I still shoot. My body's gotten beat up, but I shoot around all the time. And so we went to, I, went, I met him in Brooklyn and we shot around. And it's just that feeling of like, you know, it just, it's it's like a warm blanket. You know what I mean? Right. It makes, like. As soon as I'm there with him, we should we me him and Blackjack Jack Ryan of course had a contest. Oh, you were there that day because Bob posted something the other that day. Was, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that you were there. Yeah, and that's what we and it's like and we called each other after that man, and we were just like, damn man, like it feels so good, like when you're with people that you've known for so long, and so yeah, you know, there, there's folks and there's there's moments where. Um, there's definite love and recognition of like, yo, man, like, sigue pa'lante, you know, keep mm. going forward, keep pushing for our people. And and obviously it fills me up, you know, it's like it's one of those things that I, I take that pride of the culture and where I'm from. I try to bring it with me always, you know, it's like you can't deny it, you know, I'm a right. New Yorker, So it's like, and we try to elevate that, you know, that's the goal at least, you know. Well, I mean, you are doing that well, and I definitely want to talk about that and representation a little bit later. But ball actually and hooping got you into acting somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Bob, I mean, I, so I played I played ball in college. After that, uh, I was at a school, a D two school in West Virginia called Wheeling Jesuit University. I played there for two years, and then I came back to New York. And I just studied at NYU and I was studying sports marketing, thinking that's going to be my, you know, that's what I'm going to do. It makes sense. It's related to ball. I'll maybe be an agent. Maybe I'll work for a team. I actually did. I worked for the New York Knicks for one year um, in community relations. That was a a really interesting experience. I'd never sort of worked behind the scenes in the office. But what got me was sort of really one of the pivotal moments. One of the like lanes that changed for me was Bob, Bobito, who was my neighbor. So I don't know if you knew that me and Bob were neighbors for like 20 mm-hmm. years. He mm-hmm. calls me out my window one day and he's like, yo, there's this Nike event. And back in the day when you would call people out the window. Right, right. That was the, that was the internet. Exactly. He was like, yo. He was like, you know. And I Sky Pigeon. 
That was the Sky Pager back in the day. Exactly, straight up. And he was like, um, yo, there's this Nike event, you know, and, and he had a good relationship with Nike at the time. He's like, this Nike event, uh, dribbling competition, you want to roll? And I was like, I, I was playing. You, you'll you appreciate this because you know, I, I've told this story before, but you know, you know the Urban Pro League. Of course. You know, so, you know, I had a game at the Urban Pro. It's not like I had a game at West 4th or I had a game at, like, at the time, right? So I was like, I got a game at Urban Pro, like, but, you know, I got a game. And he was like, yo, they're giving away free sneakers. I was like, I'm there. Done. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get the game. I'll go for the kicks. And it ended up being a huge Nike event, man. It was when the first Nike shocks came out. All right. Um, and it was at Cipriani's. And he kind of underplayed it. He didn't play it like it was going to be such a big event. It was at Cipriani's, 42nd Street. And it had, like, a panel of judges. Uh, Fat Joe was there. Kenyon Martin. Angie Martinez. And, and a few thousand people in the crowd. And had 30 seconds to do tricks in front of these judges. And I remember I saw Bob go first. He's gonna laugh when I tell this story because he did, he would always do this move where he would dribble in between his legs and then he'd sit on a ball, a pose, right. but he sat and he fell. Right. <laughs> and he fell on his back. I was like, oh my goodness. But he, you know, he kept rolling with it. And then right. and then it was my turn to go. And I, you know, I did some dribbling. I didn't have a ton of tricks, but I had this one trick, uh, which was like a spin a ball on my finger, move the spinning ball onto a pen, and ball keeps spinning and put the pen in my mouth, and the ball kept spinning. I did that, crowd went crazy. I got beautiful scores. I ended up coming in second place in the event, and Mm. I actually got a check. (laughs) I got kicks. I got the kicks. Right. And and that ended up leading to a really beautiful relationship with Nike. They had another event after that for the All-Star Game in D.C. It was called the People's Jam. Um, that was 2001. And, and that led to a long, you know, that basically got me involved with Nike. That got me to do commercials with Nike. That put me in front of the camera. Right. And so Bob loves this because he gets to take credit for it. He's like, I started your career. <laughs> right. I you out the window, <laughs> I did you to the event. You know, you owe me your career. And I, and I actually felt bad. And we talked about it. I was like, yo, like, because he didn't place. But he's, Bob's good, as we know. He's got a, one mm. of a lot of beautiful blessings in his life. And anyway, that, that. That ended up us being, you know, you know, from there, I had a, I had a basketball group called um, Project Playground Basketball. Yes, Me sir. and Bob put that together. I would do the choreography. I managed the group. And we traveled and we did, like, NBA halftime shows, college halftime shows, all the meanwhile doing these commercials here and there. And so that's basically, eventually, I got commercials where I didn't have a ball. And that took a few years because everything was ball-related. Everything was basketball-related. And eventually, you know... Some agent found me and was like, yo, you want to try to do a commercial for Chase Bank or whatever? And I was like, I'll try it. And I did. And then, you know, then I got to do things without basketball, which was a right. big decision. Um, and eventually, you know, got some TV gigs and, and the big one, the, probably the, the real sort of one that, you know, there was two shows. There was one show called Rescue Me. That was a firefighter show on FX. And I started now at that point to take classes and take lessons. Mm-hmm. And I really see it's like when I get obsessed I go in, like I don't, I, I get very immersed in things. And so now like my shift, my focus shifted and now everything was about the craft. And I want mm. to back to the craft of acting. Well, let, let me ask you something about the craft, okay? And I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off because yeah. I'm trying to kind of guide this in the way I don't want to get ahead of it because I really want to talk about the foundation where you went and your appreciation for the craft. I got cool with John Singleton. Yeah. Blessed day. And I was working at Rap Pages as the music editor and was writing a story about Shaft 2000, right around the same time, 
2001, whatever you were doing your thing, right? I remember he was editing and talking about this film and like why it was so important to bring it back. And I was telling him, you know, I really have interest in film. I mean, I love watching them. I love breaking them down. And he was just schooling me this stuff about the industry, especially as a person of color in this industry. And the guy who, you know, had already gotten his shot with Boys in the Hood. It was a whole big thing. So he invites me out to the U.S. He was teaching at USC um, Film School. Okay. I'm sitting on this panel with all these people who had made movies before, and I wrote my first script. I wrote it in Microsoft Word because I didn't under I didn't know Final Draft and all this stuff yet. I yeah. had no idea. So people were clowning me, and then all New York came out and once. Oh, oh, dog, you're coming at me the wrong way. So I said, well, no disrespect to the craft, but everything I do in this life is in three basic steps: setup, execution, follow through. So how I wrote my script, the setup is setup. I know a story, right? You see, you you already know. You already know. So the setup, like you said, shot prep. I know a story. The execution in that story, there are people. But this is the thing that knocked their socks off, and they stopped talking crazy to me after this. In that story, where there are people, the follow through is from time to time, they speak to one another. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so exterior. Will and Ramon stand outside of this bar, blah, blah, blah. Dialogue. Ramon, what's up, Will? Mm. Hey, what's going on? That's all I wrote because that's all I knew. Sure. So it's simplifying it. And I think sometimes we look at a task in front of us and we talk, think about all the obstacles as opposed to looking at the solutions. Right. And when you got into the craft, what was that thing that, start, that sparked you that said, this is I'm going to put this battery in my back and move with this because it feels like the right way to go for me? You know, it was really organic, man. It was what it wasn't like. It was so um, I've been Bob and I talk about this at times, too, where it's like I've been very lucky that the things that I've done in my life have happened very organically and always from a place of I love this. Like I I love it. I love ball and I love ball currently. Uh, I danced for years. I loved dance. And then I got into acting and now I've shifted that into other things. But I would say it was it was the understanding of and it all sort of was funny about, you know, you never know the tools and the things you're picking up in life and how they're going to pay off later. Right. You just don't know the experiences you have. Performing with ball helped me understand performance in general to perform in front of a stadium of 30,000 people, 20,000 people for a halftime show. You learn a lot. Right. And Mm. so, like, then you change the medium and it's on a camera and it's TV and it's here. You know, and and I I love just the there was a lot of things that I got hooked on. I love the idea of stepping into someone else's shoes, mm. and I just love the power of that medium. And the more I got sort of into it, and I took I did do some training, and I found a wonderful studio in New York and a wonderful coach that it just spoke. She spoke to me. I went to various studios, and some of them I was just like, yeah, you know, I don't know why I'm not I'm not it's not resonating for me these teachers. Right. Um, some of the exercises they had them do, it just felt a little, I don't know, like it just, it felt like everybody was just going on board along with it, but never sort of questioning or wanting to go deeper into understanding why. Right. And here, then I met this one coach who really sort of broke down process and different methods of training, um, breaking down stories, breaking down scripts, breaking down character. And then I really, that's when I was like, this is, I, I was, again, I got obsessed. My, like my focus went zoop. Right. I love this. Um, and it, it then I was able to up until that point, 
I pretty much was sort of portraying like myself in a way, like things that I knew or, you know, things like that. And then you start understanding other things that you can bring into the table and other characters and how to get into those head spaces a little bit. And The Wire was like the first one where I really, um, that was like a, that was a, that was a different path for me. It was a different character. It wasn't me. I didn't see mm. it as me necessarily. And so it was really cool to be able to, to, to sort of pivot into that. And then that was probably one of the greatest, uh, that set, that experience, those cat, those scripts, they mm. were like, it was, it was the best class I've ever had in my life. No, and, and I, all the training I did was amazing, but what I learned on that set and with those actors and those scripts and that creator was like profound, man. You know, yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't understand. I thought it was very early on in my career, so I thought all scripts are like this. Right. <laughs> you found out, right? That's not, things are like those schools, like though. It was like those schools as well, though, right? The ones that yeah. didn't resonate with you. Same exactly. thing with scripts. They're not gonna give you that same feeling, that 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 warmth. That, like this is where I'm supposed to be, and this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm just gonna what, live yeah. through these things, right? And I could appreciate how thought through they were. Like it was mm. so authentic and so true. And if I brought anything up to the creator, or anything, and you know, they already had things thought out for four episodes later. They're like, "This is why this is happening now," and I'm like. It was so humbling. It was beautiful. I'm like, oh, I'm in the hands of, of wonderful creators, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I had some shocking experiences after that where I was like, oh, that's not always the case. Right. You're not always with people that have incredible vision and can execute and and the truth matters and, and representing. It was really, that was a once in a lifetime experience to be on that one. I have to be honest. It hasn't happened often. There's a difference between soul food and fast food. Yeah. And you were getting that soul food when you were yeah. there on the set. What was it like working with Blessed Dead, our brother Michael K. Williams, mm. as intimately as you did for two seasons yeah. uh, on The Wire? Yeah, you know, um, he is he, just a very soulful, deep brother. Um, I believe you knew him as well. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who, who have like just come out of the woodworks, just expressing people who never even met him could feel his, the depth of his soul. And that is so true. Like when I first got the gig, when I first got the job, I hadn't seen the wire. I hadn't seen oh, it. Oh, really? Okay. Hadn't, seen it. hadn't been up on it. I heard about it. I didn't tune in. I was too busy playing ball or something, I'm sure. <laughs> and so when I finally got into it and, and I got the job and I started watching it and then, you know, I went, he was one of the first people I spoke to. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that was on my mind, truthfully, during that time was I was like, okay, I'm playing a homosexual character. This is a first for me. Mm. Um, and it was all these thoughts in my head, you know, okay, what does that mean? And when I go back home, how am I received? And all these right. things, right? I got to go right. back to my hood. I got to go back to, the, you know, like, and so I asked him, I said, yo, Mike, I, I, you know, how have you been received? How has this role been for you? And he was like, I can't even tell you the amount of respect I've gotten for this role. Right. And again, this is so naive. I hadn't seen the show. I didn't understand it. And I was very young and I didn't really, you know, I'm in a different place now than I was then. And to hear him say that just allowed me to sort of feel like, OK, I'm in, this is a I got to commit to this fully mm. and I got to dive into this fully. And the first day on set, my first day is a cold winter in Baltimore. Right. And I and I had to lay butt naked next to my man, me and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> in bed, naked next to each other. That's my right. first day on set. Right. And I was like, this is it. Like, 
You know what I mean? Like, that's it. And, and you know, from that moment on, we spent a lot of time, man. We built a lot. We had a lot of wonderful conversations. You know, we got to go to my home island together. Right. On season five. Like, right. you know, we shot in La Perla. Mm. You know, like, it was it was beautiful. And we stayed connected since, you know. Um, that 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 dude and that experience changed my life. But Mike specifically, you know, uh, I'm just really feel super lucky that I got to have that experience and I got to connect with him and know him as a person. And it just he blew me away. You know, his talent, like mm-hmm. what he could do and what he brought to that character and to be so close to that and learn from mm-hmm. that, and see that we got to have a lot of amazing creative conversations. And yeah, man, he was a massive influence, man. I met him because of you. Oh, I met him because of you, because we were in the airport and we're sitting there and I see him. I go and talk to him like, yo, introduce myself, say, yo, I'm really a big fan of your work. Little quirky fact, your boyfriend, season four and season five, we used to play basketball together in New York City all the time. He goes, say word, Ramon's my guy. I'm like, so we started talking. Wow, cool. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, this is Chalky White you're talking to. This is, you know, he wasn't like that. No. And I said, well, he told me he was shooting Robocop in Toronto with Samuel L. Jackson. Right. And I said, well, I would love, if this is not too forward, for you to come on our show. Because I know you were doing some stuff with the, the uh, Nets at the time. He was uh, doing the voiceover work for the association for NBA TV. He goes, oh, by all means, I'll come and do it. So I said, I'll send a car for you the whole night. I'll call you back when I get to back from L.A. He called. He, everything he said he was going to do, he did. Yeah. And we just kept a relationship. He showed up to the station. People were like, Omar sitting on the couch, Omar sitting, Omar coming. Like it was wild exactly. to watch the people yeah. in the station who had just heard about The Wire. Yeah. Because Barack Obama was saying, my favorite character on The Wire. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they're like, he's sitting on the couch up there. Who, who got him here? And comes in the studio, does his thing. We go hang out after and just kept keeping in touch over time. Yeah. Not like all the time. You know, I don't infringe on people like that. But just that he was so open and so warm. And I get the feeling from what you said that he was the same way working with you and making sure that you got into the part the way you needed to to make that happen. And again, you had David Simon, everyone, Nina and everyone around you there on the set um, at The Wire. That experience is I, I, I'm biased. I call it the greatest television show ever read or spit. That's just me. Yeah. No, but, you, um, I mean, you're not alone. That's for sure. There's a lot of folks that feel that. But. Yeah, Michael was incredibly special, brother. Like, you know, that was one taken definitely too soon. And and to all I could, you know, the news devastated me. I was in New York and I just, uh, and it was amazing. I was on a high on other things going on and it just like, boom. And I was like, I was grateful to be in New York. I had actually connected him with a bunch of really like childhood friends of mine that I grew up with and they became real close. Right. Like family. And so like, he, he's been in my life, man, and I've always felt him, and, you know, he's going to be missed, but um, like I said, I'm super lucky. I'm that was his energy. That was his energy, and I appreciated the time that I had with him as well. And I want to do this thing we do on the podcast called The Association. I'm going to give you a name or a place or whatever. You tell me a, a thought or two about that thing, so or person or place, right? First person, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda. Word association? Word? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Puerto Rico. Mm. Reps it hard. He's pushing mm-hmm. it hard. So, you know, my brother, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't just the amount of respect for people who elevate and, and put our people in our island on the map. He's 
definitely like what he's done is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's like I know so many people that literally that's what they say. And then mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, like, only Manuel. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what? That's amazing. You know, the right. fact that their awareness is because of him, through him, it's beautiful. No doubt. Rosie Perez. Oh, that's my best pal. That's my best pal, man. Um, mm-hmm. you know, icon, first mm-hmm. lady of boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. That's a special one, you know. Okay. She's she's yeah yeah she's my role dog. So you know, I'm lucky again. I'm very lucky. Without a question, Robert Garcia. Bobito, let's <laughs> ice 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 ice. Oh man, you know another. That's my brother. That is my brother, man. Like, uh, you know the 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 amount of things that have come through him in my life. You know, and the the wonderful memories, the things we've created together, I can't, that's that's my brother, that's it. Well, I'm gonna come back with a little bit more on the other side of this with my man, Ramona Rodriguez. Yeah. On the open run with Will Strickland. Now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with my brother, Mia Mano, Ramon Rodriguez. How would you describe yourself? Like, is it multi-hyphenate entertainer? Because you're an actor, a dancer, you know, a creator, a director, producer. We're going to get into all that. And I found out, do you still have the same agent as Mark Ruffalo? I do. I do we do share the same agent. Yeah. Yes. So when roles come up and... Say, for instance, your agent calls you before he calls Mark. Does Mark get mad and turn green? I'm just wondering. I, I, I don't know. No, I no. Know. We, we have our own, fortunately, <laughs> our own lanes. I mean, I don't ever, we're never sort of competing for things. I don't feel like I've ever heard something go to him or me go to vice versa. I haven't heard that. I know she reps him, but they rep a, she reps a lot of people. She's an amazing agent. I've been with her for a while. My managers, who I've been with the longs, I've had him in my life. He and actually, so here's a little connective tissue for you. So my manager, who I've been with since just before the wire, and I got him because of the wire. He was obsessed mm. with the show. With him, who I've been the whole time, I was able to. I got Michael K into my management company. Mm. Um, I got Rosie into my management company. So I've been able to bring these wonderful people who I know are amazing talents. And who've been incredible for me personally, and then been able to connect them with my, you know, with my manager, which has been, you know, really dope. Steel sharpening uh, steel, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, and 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 you know, like just helping each other out. You know, we all in this together. So, however, you know, if I can do something that's going to help somebody um, in their career, not that Rosie or Michael K needed help at all by any means, but you know, sometimes you you need that champion in your corner who can fight for you. Yeah, but you know, wherever you sit today, you may not sit tomorrow, and vice versa. Yeah. So you can be hot for a minute, but if you lift as you climb and the other person yeah. is doing the same thing, you can elevate. Like you talked about Lin-Manuel uh, earlier, the same yeah. thing, just kind of elevating the idea and talking about some of the projects you've been a part of. I'm going to highlight a couple of those real quick, in, including 
the first person to speak in the taking of Pelham one, two, three. I'm talking uh-huh, to him yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that experience in working with Denzel Washington. You know, again, like not many better schools or classes, or you're not going to learn anything better than being on that set, man. You know, mm-hmm. I got to be next to him for, you know, and work together with him for two and a half months. And the great and the late Tony Scott, man, mm-hmm. that human being is a species. He was a special soul, incredible mm-hmm. soul. The casting director for that movie, her name is Denise Chamian. She's an incredible casting director who I put myself on tape with her here in LA. And I guess she told me Tony flipped over it and loved it and was like, I got to bring him in. And so I got the part. Yeah, man. It was like we shot in New York and, you know, John Travolta, you know, John Turturro, the late James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini, um, you know, all of these heavy hitters, man heavy hitters and yeah I got to go in there and do my thing and and I, I, I was like bugging I remember our table read we did it on the they recreated and rebuilt that whole MTA operating system whole like place that we shot for the whole MTA stuff they recreated on a stage and we did a table read there and yeah man you know like that De- like Denzel man you know he's one of those cats that's when you see a master of the craft you know it right mm-hmm. you know it's like when I saw Michael Jordan play for the first time, I'll never forget it. And one of the things I noticed that I, it's just amazing, it's interesting, is he moved differently. Right. Like when he was on the court, he moved, he literally moved differently. And it was a little later in his career. I didn't see, I saw him when he was with uh, DC. Um, oh, that didn't happen. For some people, that didn't, that never happened. That's a fallacy. I mean, no, exactly. It never existed. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I saw him because I was working with the Knicks at the time. So I got right. to see him. I got to meet him. And I just remember watching, you know, you just couldn't take your eye off him. And I'm watching him go up and down the court. And I'm like, man, this cat moves differently. It was a similar flow and energy to Denzel, especially with his acting, where he has this incredible ability to flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, very naturally and organically. And, you know, I learned a lot, man. We spent a lot of time and, and you know, at first it takes a minute to sort of uh, to connect to him. And then as soon as he knew I played ball and I told him we played, it was a rap. Then he starts no telling good. me stories. He was like, yeah, you remember the movie? He got game, you know, and he got game. Remember I ran around Ray, uh, Ray Allen? That was me. That wasn't nobody's idea. That was a <laughs> I did that. That was a real bucket. And I did that. All right. <laughs> he starts telling me how he used to be able to throw it down, but it's bad hip now. And it, it right. was, we started building and it was a beautiful thing, man. And so it was one of the greatest just being being around him and, and chatting and learning and watching. And every day I came home and I just was like filled with inspiration. I was like, all right. And to watch again how he navigates. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed that was really uh, interesting is I had never seen or worked with someone that was a person of color that I had seen be respected like that. Right. Now this is a respect that he demands. And it's a very beautiful thing in a way. It can seem though, if you don't know, somebody can say, oh, he's cold or, oh, he's an asshole or this or that. And it's like, no. What I took away at least was, you don't understand what that man has had to go through to get to where he's at. Without question. And what was really interesting is like, he is cool. He just, has to protect himself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? He's got to sort of protect, you know, it was was a really, the producers on that that were huge were terrified of him. I'd never seen Mm. that. (laughs) And I got to say, I did like, I smiled. I was like, this is a beautiful thing. Like I could see what, what, 
how he has paved the way for many others to come and follow. But he did that by taking, and those before him, Sidney Lamette and others have done the same. They mm -hmm. had to sort of, you know, you got to break through those walls and sort of set precedence and set respect and set, but you have to set boundaries at times. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it was an incredible creative experience. And Tony, you know, I stayed connected with him for years after that. And that same casting director ended up right after that job my next immediate job was Transformers. And she right. brought me, she casted that as well. And so yeah. I had the pleasure of having nine months out of the year working, but I got to work also, like John Turturro was in both movies with me. Right. So we, were, so we were both back to back. So we spent nine months out of the year together. I loved um, him in Miller's Crossing. He's so talented, man. He is wild talented. And he's hilarious. Like he's I can hilarious, imagine. you know? So those, are the, those two, I have to say, that year was like, I was oh, like, that was all in the same year. Same year. Wow. Okay, that's dope. That's what I mean. I spent nine months in one year on those two movies through the same casting director, and the other through line was me and, and Turturro were together the whole time. And obviously, like Michael Bay, and knowing that Michael Bay's mentor, one of them was Tony Scott. Right. It was really interesting, like all the connective tissue that was happening there. And um, yeah, I was, I was, that was, that was out of here for me. Like I, I was having like an out of body experience, straight up. Well, I know you're doing lots of, of movies and things of this nature, but you also work in television. And one of the things they wanted to do with you was a reboot of Charlie's Angels. How did that work out and not work out for you? <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh first of all, I didn't I didn't really I didn't even want to do it. I was like, this doesn't make like Bosley, I didn't understand it at first. Mm -hmm. I was like, they were trying to take the character Bosley in a new direction. And I, I had a phone call, I got a phone call from Drew Barrymore. And, and she's very persuasive and very smart. Mm. And so she talked me into it. And I was like, all right, you know, this sounds like it could be an interesting ride. I'll go for it. Um, met some wonderful people, you know, filmed in Florida. It was wild. It was a, it was a trippy experience. But it's one of those that I'm like, it's, a, it's probably a good thing it didn't go, like straight up. It's, it's probably a blessing that it didn't. But I was really grateful for the experience. Shot it for a while. But yeah, I was just like, I, at the end of it, I was like, all right. It must be best that, but that was the trippy thing with that one that I had never experienced to that point was we got canceled while we were filming, and it's a very ill thing. I right. never experienced that. We're literally, and I'm not even joking. I think we were shooting. I don't know. I can't believe I remember this, but I want to say it was like maybe episode ten. And we're in the middle of filming, and the director gets a call, steps off, comes back, and says, "They pulled the plug. We can't roll another frame of film. Everybody mm. has to walk off right now." Mm. That was cold-blooded. That was like- That's the was, business though, right? That's the business. That's the business. And, 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 and the three lovely young ladies that were on with me just broke down. You mm. know, they just were like, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, that was wild to experience. I'd never to that point, like, I'm like, you know, you're in a groove, you're filming. Right. Everybody's feeling good. And all of a sudden it's like, done. And you're in Miami too? Come on, like- It's in Miami, exactly. Yeah. You know, so I was really upset that, gang related a vehicle you were the lead in and it was a fox vehicle right yeah i was following that and i was telling my people i'm like yo my man has his own joint right now y'all should yeah. check it out it's a kind of interesting thing that he was raised uh, i'll let you tell the story of how that works because i normally have people run their resume and i'm actually running the resume with you but let's rock so tell me there, more about gang related and how you involved in that there's some beautiful connections to that show in that pilot that go back to the origins of how I got into the business. And mm -hmm. so I got the job because I met the executives at Fox 
and they wanted to create a, a show for me. They wanted, to, uh, they wanted to find a show for me, you know, a vehicle for me to star in. I was like, amazing. And I read this script, they sent me this script by one of the, the writer, he had written a bunch of the Fast and Furious films. His name's Chris mm. Morgan, wonderfully talented writer. And I meet him and I'm like, I'm blown away. Cause I'm like, mm. yo, this is dope. This dude, it, it reminded me of The Departed. Right. right? I was like, this exactly. dude has to sort of juggle both worlds. Right. He's one side, his family that he, you know, was raised by is, you know, gang affiliated. And now he's a cop. And now that starts getting torn and complicated for him. I loved it. I was a wonderful premise. I really actually tried to fight for them. Uh, I, I, I wish still even even though it didn't have, we didn't move on. But I wish they changed the title because to me it was too. Again, you're boxing yeah. it in too specifically. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like gang related. Like the doesn't do that. Right. Huh? The and the department doesn't do that. that. Right. I'm like, you know, we can, because in my, at that point in time, I'm already trying to like elevate and open things up. And I'm very skeptical of taking things that are perpetuating negative stereotypes and misconceptions. I don't want to continue amplifying that message. So I, I literally tell the, the, the creators and everyone, I'm like, how could, so we're going through names and they didn't, they ended up, Fox was like, this is it. We want gang related. I'm like, all right. But as it starts coming together, we have an amazing group of people, the RZA. You know, Cliff Curtis, who many know from um, the Denzel movie. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, what was the flick he did where he was a cop that he won for? Training Day. Right. A lot of people know him because Cliff, Cliff is, people think he's Mexican. He's actually from New Zealand. He's Aboriginal from New Zealand. Like, he's native. Like, it's, it's wild. You know, and people always oh, he, think. He's a versatile actor. He's played a lot of things. He's a chameleon. Like, he disappeared. Right. Mm. Um, anyway, it was an amazing cast, amazing group as it's coming together. And anyway, they finally are like, we need to find a director and bring a director on board for the pilot. And the name comes up. They go, okay, we think we found him. We want you to meet him. And they have this big meeting, you know, me and, and we're sitting in the round with all these other executives and the director. And the director they chose is Alan Hughes. Mm. So I go, and back of my mind, I heard, I'm like, he doesn't know this. I sit at the meeting. I have some something in my pocket that I can't wait to pull out on him, right? And be like, check this out. So I, uh, we're talking about the creative and all the show. And I go, Alan, you may not remember, but you directed a commercial, a Nike commercial about Rucker Park with Vince right. Carter. And there was a guy in that commercial who does a behind the back pass to Vince, who catches it, does a windmill and dunks it. I was like, that cat was me. Right. I did the behind the back pass to Vince. I had an Afro with little poom poom shorts. I used to have braids that were into my Afro. And literally, Alan falls off the chair. For those who don't know Alan, he's part of the Hughes brothers that directed Menace to Society, amongst right. many other joints. And Alan is bugging. And so now me and Alan are like, you know, that's it. And we and, and honestly, that dude is, is, is amazing. And, you know, he was on the show. So that show was a real, I was disappointed. That show mm. was supposed to go. Everybody. I, I thought it was going to go. I, everybody. I still premise? get messages today sometimes. How did they take that show? Like, how? I don't have the answer. I don't know what it was because it wasn't doing terribly. Um, it might have not been like a super hit show, but it was doing all right, like by the numbers, mm. which is what I know they care about. Mm. Um, but I just know for the people and people that watched it, I know a lot of people really enjoyed that show, man. And me personally and where it was going to go in season two, because we, we were ready to go. And then they were like, yeah, no, that's it. I'm going to tell you I was biased and that's going to be the thing and and I wonder if you have a bias based on the teams in New York City. I don't know if you root for the LA teams or the New York teams, 
I don't want to air you out either because you might have some no, goals. No, I'll tell you all day. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I mean, by the way, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm always going to be a Knicks fan. Do I mm. keep up with it as much as I used to? Nah. Nah, that's just, of course. That's just talk. I don't keep up with it as much. But I still, like, last season was amazing to watch. I literally haven't been that excited. I haven't seen that many Knicks games in years. Well, the so, excitement was back in the MSG for the first time in a long time. First time in a long time, man. So, you know, um, I got my neighbor in New York, and he always sort of keeps me up to date. And he's actually a Laker fan, so we always go back and forth, and we, you know, we love to have that <laughs> battle. But, um, yeah, I'd love to see them come back. And, and you know, but, yeah, I, I'll always be a Knicks fan, man. I mean, that, that place, obviously, I work there. Like, it has a special place for my heart. And, right. and always, through all the pain, through all the law, through everything, through the Ewing mitt, doing the finger roll, through the Charles Smith missing the layup, the wobbly, like I've got all of those things etched in my heart, those scars. Right. And well, you know what? They have a bright future, or so it looks right now. But I want to ask you, before we get out of here, if you had an opportunity to play one-on-one with anyone in the history of the game, who would it be and why? I mean, that, that's easy, man. I mean, I would love... Uh, to have played one-on-one against Michael, man, like without a doubt. For me, it's just like what you can learn, like what I've learned working with Denzel. I mean, he's, you know, it, it, it's just what you can take away from it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. even growing up, I remember anytime you play with somebody that is better than you, wiser than you, and you can, you're going to improve. You're going to get better. It's going to up your game. So it would, it, it'd be amazing. I mean, are you crazy? I would have loved to just been around him and playing with him and just, you know, ask questions you know i'm a curious cat and that I, that, that would have been a really dope experience he would have destroyed me but it would have been amazing i would have given him some i would have done something i would have had a moment i would have shown him something where he would have been like okay this cat can ball That's right it. right so you know what i want you to give me a starting five of latin actors doesn't matter their height or anything starting five from point guard to center of latin actors because we talk about representation mattering, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's a big thing for you. So yeah. before you give me that lineup, tell me why it's so important to you and why that representation matters so much. Well, it's the lack thereof, right? Mm. You know, we don't have a lot of representation. And on top of that, what is represented is too common negative. It's too common of just the same things we've always seen, right? Mm. And the reality is, is our medium is incredibly powerful and impactful, not only to those who don't know. So the people in middle America or in the South who may not know a Puerto Rican mm. or a Latino or, you know, or Latina, like it also affects how we see ourselves. And if we just 100%. always see ourselves to be something negative, uh, to be just a, the constant stereotype that's put out there, that's not helping us elevate, man. So, mm. um, and we all know that. We all know the doctors, the lawyers, the successful business people, the CEOs, the all of these people, but we don't get to see those stories told. And by the way, it didn't have to be on that level. Just the everyday person who's hustling, working, making their life. Like, it just can't be so black and white. Mm. You know, there's got to be, we got to show the gray area, in my opinion, of where life is. That's where a lot of life is. It's complicated. Mm. You know, even I've never seen any, or I've never portrayed a character and saw them just to be a bad guy because they're mm. not. You know, people are sort of the results of their experiences, right? Mm. And so what happened to that person that made them become whatever you think is bad? You want to be a complete human being. And that's complex and complicated in the same space. And I read that you were doing a project about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. Right. 
Um, you want to talk about that real quick or are you cool with that? Sure. Yeah, man. That's that's you know, that one's been in the works for a long time. That one I wrote with Rosie Perez. We wrote it together, but it's something that sort of stemmed from massive abandonment issues. My pops bounced when I was young and it's sort of like about it's a coming of age story. So the two things that I tend to really that I love are coming of age, which I feel like is almost like a constant. You're sort of always coming, you know, coming to and learning and evolving, hopefully evolving. Yeah. And identity. I'm fascinated by those subjects, by those themes, by those stories. Um, you know, living in a country that has identity issues, coming from an island that has incredible, complicated identity issues. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's like, you know, the understanding. Of, it's like the, 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 you know, the understanding of self, who you mm-hmm. are, where you come from. You know, so much of it you're taught until maybe one day you start exploring for yourself. Right. Well, so it's the conditioning, perception versus reality part, right? Right. right. So those two are, are. So this story is is a lot about that. It's, you know, what's the name you, of the story? It's called Manchild, mm-hmm. which, as we know in ball, you know, it's like it's so it's like yeah. So it's man, it's Manchild, which is fat, and 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 it, and it actually the beauty of the story, man. I hope to tell it one day, and I will. I'm going to do everything I can. But the the blessing that came from it is I actually after 14 years not seeing my pops or being in touch with him. Writing the story got me to go make peace with it. And that's the goal of the story. So when this comes out one day, I'm hoping people can make peace with whatever trauma, with whatever demons, with whatever parents or person they're not talking to in their life. Because what you realize, losing someone like Michael, losing these loved ones, that's like life is short now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get over, work through things, work through things. And that script and writing that story really allowed me to explore myself, my history, fill in gaps that I didn't understand and eventually selfishly say, I want to go see him and make peace for me. Mm-hmm. It was cathartic. You know, it was absolutely a cathartic process. So that's, that's that story. And so hopefully you'll, you'll get to see that one day. Okay. Give me your lineup before we get. Okay. My lineup. Um, who's your point guard? Ooh, who's running the point. I could start with some icons. I mean, I might even have like, like I would maybe go Rita Moreno, you know, Ooh, like, that's go a good as that a, is the, you know, respect. EGOT, you know, she got the Emmy, the Golden, the Oscar, and the Tony. She paved a lot for many, many, many. Um, shooting guard. Uh, let's see. Maybe um, he's a wild one. You know, he's a wild one, but he's consistent. I'm going to give you Benicio Del Toro. Ooh. Right? I flip you. I flip you. <laughs> That's from um, you know un- unpredictable, uh, which is what, what I was, like. What was that movie? It was, it was the Usual Suspects. I flip you when they did the lineup. So classic, classic. he's great. He is yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, for the three, um, I'll go with you know. There's a three-four combo that I'll put together. Why not? Because I love them both. Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem. I'll mm. put those two together. This is tough, man, because there's a lot of folks I'm going to want to get in this five, man. That's tough. It's hard. It really is. So it's who's hard, the three? Man. Is Penelope the three? And I can see Javier being the four. I can see him as the four. Hers the three. <clears throat> the center, man. I mean, you know, um, hmm, there's a lot, man. I mean, I could go back to, like, somebody like Raul Julia, who's so mm-hmm. amazing. Who's under, yes, under, you know, not a lot of people know about him and what he did. He was amazing. But then I got to throw like Rosie and, you know, I got to get a lot of other folks in there. I can't have Rosie out of that five. So, you know, maybe the point is shared by Rita and Rosie. You know, I don't know. But yeah, man. 
So you're going with uh, Julia for, for the five. I'll go with Raul Julia, man, for the five. I love that, man. And I appreciate you so much, man. It's so good to reconnect with you. I appreciate your time. Uh, continue to flourish. You know you have at least one supporter in me because I'm always out there checking for you and seeing what you're doing. Like, I'm quiet with it, but it's a quiet respect, no doubt. And, I appreciate um, you reaching out, man. It's been on. a minute, and it's always dope to, like, connect with, with, with cats that I met, you know, on the concrete out there playing ball. We actually we had a couple good squads, man. We had a few. You were nice with it around the city. Come on now. We had some good games, man. So it, on the real, like it made me, you made me smile real deep inside. Where I was like, "Wow, man, I haven't heard." From, I think the last time I heard from you, you told me about a script that you wrote. I did, I did. I, I, like I told you that whole thing. And my man just got a new job as a president of a movie company out there. I'm not gonna really throw that out there, but he was working with Will Packer for a minute, right? And he was at Sony Film Entertainment. So he was big behind Kevin Hart. And I had a thing. I didn't really want Kevin Hart to be the center of this thing. It wasn't a story. People like, are you ignorant? Just do it because Kev I couldn't do it. You, mm -hmm. It has to feel right to you, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, if I did anything for money, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. I've never done anything just for money. It has to feel right to me. And I can walk away from this and feel comfortable with the fact that I did it the right way, the way I felt it should be presented and represented so with integrity without question at all well, times speaking of though and just because this is i know you talk about ball on your show a lot it's about time it's been too damn long that we don't have a dope ball movie and when i say that really it's about the story give a great story like it's been so long since i've seen something man you see all the other sports they can do it well Basketball's mm. tricky for some reason. You know, you got the classic like Hoosiers and the beautiful documentaries. There's a, there's some good ones, but it's been a long, long time. You know, I'm gonna send you that script, and you're like, let's do a rewrite. I'm gonna send this script to you. I, I know saying, you got a lot of other stuff on there. About but... time that we get to tell. I think there's one out now or recently. I haven't seen it, um, but I haven't seen it. But I want. I, it's like I'm. I meant, I'm like I wish. In fact, I know a while ago they tried to tell one about um about the rucker and I want to say Malcolm Lee was directing and that fell apart mm. years ago. That was early on in my career and I remember that, um, but it didn't happen. We, we had a conversation about the nostalgia of basketball and how different it is from like baseball and hockey and how it resonates in America. Like you can do the field of dreams thing and put the uh, major league baseball players out there in the field of dreams. And there's a nostalgia and a, a fondness for that. There's the same thing with the ice hockey in the outdoor arena. You know, right. that you're on the, the rink that's made over the, 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 you know, the lake or the pond near your house. Right. With the Rucker, like if we try to do something like that with the Rucker, you know, you're up near the polo grounds and there's no, the logistics are bad. You don't have enough room to do what you want to do. It's not the same energy. Right. And I think it would be really localized in that way because we understand that energy. We understand right. what it's like to stand up against a chain link fence and watch your guys and like, I got next at West fourth or be at the Rucker or be at the goat or wherever it is and hooping. How do you translate that in a way that resonates across class, race, gender, and all these things. So that's, that's a mission, man. It comes down to story, man. You know, like we have, there's a lot of like, you know, uh, Above the Rim did a great job, you know? Mm. Like, there's a lot of classics out there, but it's been a long time, and it's, I'm always fascinated that for some reason the ball films are hard. To, and, and there's nothing worse, personally, to see a ball movie with cats that don't play. Like, straight up, that irks me deep. 
And I'm well, like, there are a couple that I'm there's like, several. Oh, for real, you're just real? like, you know, so it's like, like you as a person, how'd you kick this role? Come on. Yeah, this that that's one of the things I want to make happen if I can, and 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 make things happen is to get something like that told. And again, it comes down if you have a beautiful story. There's a, there's a beautiful movie about MMA um, directed by a guy that I'd worked with called Warrior. I don't know if you ever mm. saw it. No. Warrior is this yo. It's with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. Oh yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't and seen yo, it. This flick, I showed it to, I remember nobody knew about it. I showed it to all my boys. Yo, they was in tears. They were like, yo, this is the most beautiful. And it's, and it's really story. It's these characters, right? You fell in love with them and, and it happens to be in the world of MMA. Mm. And that's what needs to happen with ball. You need to have a great compelling story and character. And whether it's street ball or whatever the thing is, but that, I, I just, it's been so long. You know what I mean? It's been, it's I, been a long time. I know you're a busy man and I don't want to keep you. I know yeah. you got to run, but eventually we're going to find some space and kind of sit down and have a face-to-face and you tell me if this is a rewrite or if this yeah, an energy to this thing that has some legs to it. Let's talk about it. But yeah. again, Ramon Rodriguez, I appreciate you, brother. My brother. Peace, man. Good to see you, Will. And way to rep BBB. I see you rocking I it. See, I see you know we rocking. So Rob's going to be happy. <laughs> exactly. No All right, Will. Thank you for having me, brother. Much Thank love. Thank you. Be easy. Peace. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my brother Ramon Rodriguez once again for coming through and doing his thing, representing himself, his culture, his people, and his craft so very well. I wish him continued success in all that he does. And it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Shout out to, and this is something I never thought I'd feel bad about saying in an odd way, but I'm also kind of proud of it too. Shouts out to Kanye West. I know how he is and what he is today, but he's utilized his platform to create the Donda Academy in honor of his mother and has signed five-star recruits like Jackie Howard, along with four others, against Bronny James. I think I could say that without the hashtag because this is his son and his Sierra Canyon team. And the great thing about the Donda Academy, at least from what I'm understanding, is that there is no tuition. Kids who come there who are selected to go there don't have to pay a dime. Kanye pays for everything. They say, oh, all money ain't good money. All money is bad money. Let's be clear. There's no pure money out here. Stop saying stupid stuff. But yeah, shouts out to Kanye and what he's doing with the Donda Academy. Hopefully he'll be able to see his dream realized with his new preparatory school. I guess that's what you want to call it, if nothing else. So a lot of people are wringing their hands about Imani Bates. Star freshman forward at the University of Memphis under Penny Hardaway. They had a pro day just recently, so scouts are all there watching these guys practice and go through drills and stuff. And Bates only had a 24 and a half inch vertical leap, which told a lot of people, oh, it's not 40 leap, you know, he's not an elite athlete. Of course, all these people were saying that couldn't jump over a sliding credit card. But alas, this kid is going to be a first round draft pick in the NBA next year. And he's not going to be thinking about this 24 and a half inch vertical leap. It's almost like very equivalent to how people saw Kevin Durant in this draft process bench press. He couldn't bench press the bar. Well, let me not say that. I think it was 135 pounds. which is two plates and the bar. Each one of them being 45 pounds a piece. Couldn't do it. 
arguably the greatest or second greatest player in the game right now. So what did it matter? Who's the draft process and all that stuff for anyway? Oh, I forgot. Fantasy basketball and, you know, draft experts. Yes. We utilize these metrics to better tell you this is what this guy to project to you and create a model for what this guy will be in this career. It rarely ever happens that way. And keep it in the NCAA, which is hopefully not for long. And the idea of creating a union for the players. Is that the next step in the NIL shadow? Name, image, and likeness? Because, you know, back in 2016, the student-athletes of Northwestern University in Chicago, Evanston, Illinois, okay, come on, whatever, Chicago, they tried to form a union. They crawled so the NIL could walk. Perhaps very soon, we'll see a union for athletes that totally eliminates the need for the NCAA. I want to send some love, light, and blessings to my man, Earl Joseph Smith, college freshman at North Carolina A&T, playing in his first golf tournament. He qualified by one stroke to play at the Phoenix Invitational. I have not seen the results yet. I'm sure they'll come out after I'm done recording this podcast. But shout out to J.R. Smith for doing his thing and making his dreams come true. Happy trails to the great Pau Gasol, who has announced officially his retirement from the NBA and from professional basketball in general. That also includes playing for Spain or in Spain. I think the most important thing to know about Pau Gasol outside of his stellar basketball career, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Perhaps. When I think about it, perhaps. Two championships, multiple all-star games. At the time, especially during his prime, easily the most skilled big man in the game. Another big man who was not as skilled as Pau Gasol, but is in the Hall of Fame, the first and only undrafted player to ever make the Hall, Ben Wallace, now a part of the Pistons and the Motor City Crews, the G League affiliate of the Pistons, he is in their development and operations department. So he's going to do a lot of things in the community also with the player evaluations and looking at, again, if you play in Detroit, you got to be tough. You got to have that heart like Ben Wallace. You have to be able to overcome a lot of things. The Pistons are overcoming years and years of mediocrity. And I think one of the ways to do that is bringing back some of the, the culture of winning. The, guy, the guys who knew how to build that culture, the identity behind the team. Ben Wallace is a good step in that direction. I don't know if that's happening in Philadelphia. Allen Iverson, a Hall of Famer as well, and arguably a top five all-time Philadelphia 76er. Who would argue me down about that? Top five. I can go into the list. If you have one, hit me up on my socials. But he doesn't have a job in the front office there for the Sixers. Not as an ambassador, not as, not in player development, not in operations, nothing. Josh Harris, what's up, man? Get one disgruntled point guard. Don't make another one out of Allen Iverson, who is and always will be authentically Allen Iverson. But the love in this man's heart, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I know, know him like that. But in our interactions, like he's just raw and authentic. And I think that's something that's really needed in the Philadelphia front office in their dealings with players. And of course, the community who they have to win back after this whole Ben Simmons debacle. And I don't know if it's done or not. Because when a person shows you who they really are, you should believe them. There are reports that Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul has been in talks with the Sixers about Ben Simmons coming back to Philadelphia. You know, a place he said he would never play again, never play in front of those fans. Told him his time was done there. When your pockets are a little light and $8.25 million is more than just a little light, you start to come to the light and make real decisions, real business decisions. To have nothing to do with your emotions in the moment. But whatever. 
You know, even Tracy McGrady, when you talk about this draft process, Tracy McGrady recalled that Ben Simmons walked into the draft like he didn't know anybody, like he was better than everyone that was there. I mean, I understand he was the number one pick in the 2016 draft, but come on. Even Sue Jackson, who was a former NBA coach and executive with the NBA, noted Ben Simmons' attitude was different than every other athlete who was there and just happy to have the chance to be selected, to be a part of a brotherhood in the NBA. Ben Simmons, eh, so what? Perhaps he treated LSU in the same way. He didn't have to go to school. He didn't have to worry about winning. He was going to be the number one pick in the draft regardless. This was just a, a way station. He wasn't worried about the tradition, the history, going 9-25, not making the NCAAs, nothing. Still number one pick in the draft. So, can I blame him? No. But yes, I can. This is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I wonder what it'll look like if and when he walks back in that locker room. That's going to be funny. Someone who probably won't be walking into a locker room anytime soon is the former number one pick in the 2013 draft, Anthony Bennett from Canada, who was just recently cut by a team in the Israeli Super League. He's bounced around the world after failing in the NBA on a couple of occasions. I feel bad for him because he's a decent kid. I like him. Maybe basketball just isn't his thing. So I wish him the best in his basketball journey and whatever next steps are available to him as well as wishing former WNBA Atlanta Dream players, Courtney Williams and Crystal Brantford, the best of luck in their next steps as they have been released from the team, due in part, or due in whole actually, to their behavior and involvement, intimate involvement, in a post-clubbing brawl in Atlanta just recently. Reps for the Dream were quite emphatic in making the statement that these women will never play for this team again, and they are working with the league and the police to investigate the matter further. Wow. Their values do not align with ours. I understand that, but it's kind of harsh for a fight, but I get it. It's their league. They make the decisions how they want to. I don't know if their agents or the union will combat this or fight this, but we'll see more in the weeks and months to come. Who may or may not be with this team, depending upon what happens after this season, is Phoenix Suns center DeAndre Ayton. And somehow, for some odd reason, Robert Sarver and James Jones, who I like, what's up champ, are playing hardball with DeAndre Ayton, who has shown and proved that he is worthy and has earned his rookie extension contract, much like Shea Gilgis Alexander, much like Michael Porter Jr., much like Luka Doncic. Five years, $207 million if they have the kicker in it, where it's five years and $172 million. You make an all-NBA team, you get the full 207 I get it. One way or the other, negotiations have broken down and Aiton's going to have to go through the season as a lame duck, which I think is pretty lame. What isn't lame is the fact that for the first time since the 2002 season, as cities have been represented in the finals of the WNBA and the NBA back in 2002 as the Sparks and the Lakers, this year, the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, who defeated the Las Vegas Aces in the semifinals to make it to the finals again, so it's veterans. It's a lot of star power in this finals. The underdogs are ruling. The Chicago Sky versus the Phoenix Mercury. They played game one this past Sunday. The Mercury got stomped out. Lost by, I think, 14, went to 91 to 77. Diana Taurasi, future Hall of Famer, said that we couldn't blame exhaustion. But they can look at a key injury to Kia Nurse, who is out for the rest of the season. Major knee injury. Best of luck and heal up fast, Kia Nurse. But she's a key component to what they do there in Phoenix. And the Chicago Sky came in as a sixth seed on the road trying to do the Houston Rocket run through the playoffs and win the finals as a sixth seed. And 
I don't care if you're in the NBA or WNBA, coming from a six seed and winning the NBA champ or WNBA championship, pretty big deal. But we're one game in, so let's relax with a hyperbole. But listen, you have a three-time rebounding champion and Candace Parker in this finals. You have a six-time assist leader and Courtney Vandersloot in this finals. You have an eight-time block champion and Brittany Griner in this finals. Of course, you have the five-time, five-time, five-time scoring champion and Diana Taurasi. And congrats to her and her wife, Penny Taylor, on the birth of their daughter. And also on being named the WNBA GOAT. It's the 25th year of the WNBA, so 25 to 25, the top 25. I don't know if she was at the top of that list as number one. I can't remember if she was, but they've named her the GOAT. So I guess maybe she is. And, you know, obviously when you throw something out there like that on the interweb streets, there's going to be blowback. Is she the GOAT? I want to know who your GOAT is. I'm going to put this out online later on tonight and also in some of the places in my social media network to ask who they believe is the WNBA GOAT. Is it Diana Taurasi? Is it... Maya Moore, is it Lisa Leslie? Is it Lauren Jackson? Who knows? We'll find out. There's some other names that are definitely eligible for this honor. And the GOAT conversation is always a very interesting one. As a matter of fact, the person in these conversations, the most, one Michael Jeffrey Jordan, made a statement in a very relaxed situation. There's an interview on Cigar Aficionado where you're sitting, smoking the cigars and having a drink or two, a little nip, you know what I mean? Very candid about the GOAT conversation. Doesn't feel like it's fair. Doesn't feel like it's right because errors change and make the difference in who is seen as the GOAT. And utilize golf as his template. That as great as Tiger is, can you say he's greater than Jack Nicholas and vice versa? Hard to say. Different time, technology, training, everything. It's different. Doesn't make it better or worse, just different. And maybe the guy who's involved in these GOAT conversations the most has the best point of all. To try and compare him to anyone else or him to Jerry West or Will Chamberlain or Bill Russell or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Magic Johnson. Who is this contemporary? So that makes more sense. But he's not a contemporary with he who shan't be named. Now, always be an age-old argument because even though the man many consider to be the GOAT of the game is telling you it's not a fair conversation to have, they'll tell you what his words mean. Oh, he's just being courteous. It's professional courtesy. He's only saying that because, you know, you know better than the guy who did all the work for you to have these conversations and these arguments about the work he did. And speaking of the GOAT, the other person I just mentioned who was in that same conversation, he who shan't be named, has an innovation center on the Beaverton campus of Nike, a 750,000 square foot center that will explore the athlete and time and technology and training and how someone who is, as Stephen Curry recently stated, the standard for longevity in the NBA because of how he takes care of his body, his attention to his craft, much like Ramon talked about and I talked about earlier on in the podcast. So salute to he shan't be named. Never been a brother so hot for this long. Let me stop doing Jay-Z right now. I changed the word, of course. I made some license. But what you should never do is take license with the fact that you will always get the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and Beyond on this program. So until next week, do remember... Do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And continue listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, doing your thing. Salute to you and your family, my guy. Do what you do. You know what it is. Easy. Okay.